Turn with me, if you could, to Luke um, 11, and uh, I'll open up my notes here. So, this, this year on prayer, we started kind of last, last week, um, and really the last couple weeks, starting to kind of gear up for, for this topic. And what, I'd, what I really want us to hone in on is addressing anxiety. We talked about, about anxiety. I want to bring that up again. But to address anxiety with adoration, adoration over anxiety. The Lord's Prayer, I believe, is, is the, the toolbox and it is the template that Jesus gave us to address how we look at our prayer life. The disciples even went to Jesus. They didn't ask him a whole lot of questions. No, I'm good. But they did ask him this, teach us to pray. They saw something in the heart, in the lifestyle of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, a rabbi that had transformed their life, that they didn't fully understand, that his prayer life was the key to what they needed. And so they asked him, teacher, teach us to pray like you do and to commune with the Father like you do. This was repeated in the Gospels. In John's Gospel, at the end, they get desperate and they go, when they realize he's leaving, and they go, well, at least show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. They are burning for intimacy with the Father and to connect with him. And so as we, as we look at this year and the vision uh, of this house, there's, there's a few things that, that I just want to bring back up into the forefront. And, and those things are obviously prayer, but mission and healthy family. Healthy family is, is something where um, we're continuing to develop language around this reality that we have not just in a practical sense where we have a lot of you know, people that are learning to do family and to grow young families and making babies more than I can count. I, by the way, if I forget you're pregnant, I'm sorry. I cannot keep up. And it's amazing. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's bothering me that I'm forgetting who's pregnant and who's not. So the other thing is, once you tell me, just consider it like public knowledge. I, a lot of people like to give the, the pastor like the first word. Only give me the first word if you don't mind me telling other people. Because I cannot keep everybody straight. And I bless you all in Jesus' name. But... but <laughs> But in terms of healthy family, healthy family is a lot more than just like healthy babies. Um, we really feel like this year, but it's, it's this year because of this year we are establishing something that's already started but has to come into more fruition. And that is that we need to deconstruct what relationship of the kingdom looks like. That means parental relationships, friendships, dating relationships, and marriage. How do we foster healthy relationships and steward the realm of kingdom family? That is a major question that we all know. It's like this is kingdom. Kingdom and family are one and the same. And yet how do we do this? It's a deeply theological question. It's a spiritual, practical, and in some ways it's even a secular question. Society is crying out, how do we connect as family? This city, I think it is the biggest cry of Los Angeles, is, is to connect and identify with who are my people. And the orphan spirit is, is, is something that has gripped this city in many, many ways. They are crying out for family. 
And I feel like we have a place and an invitation from the Lord to develop a uniqueness. It's not necessarily different um, than, than everybody else, but I do think it's in the way that we champion it, it's not going to look like anybody else. And we have to, we have to run with that, press into that, and walk in that, every single one of us um, from the top down. So a couple of those things, and that started with the Georgian Banoff word. If you were here when Georgian was here a few weeks back, I would say that the single focus that came out of that was covering the vulnerable. How do we do family and in the realm of pursuing healthy family, how do we cover those that are most vulnerable? Oftentimes the young families are the most vulnerable, right? It's like all of a sudden I've been a rock star in this arena or in this job or in this ministry or in this career, and now I'm a parent and I don't know what the heck fire I'm doing, and all of a sudden my marriage is not as quite as intimate and connected as it was before that child, and all these things are vulnerable, raw, and, and they need covering. But it's not just those people. It's how do we cover the most vulnerable in a family? And if we can learn to do that here with whoever is vulnerable, the city will come to us. We do need to reach out to them, but we will be blown away at how the opportunities overwhelm us because people will see that we have something, we're fostering something that they're craving, that they're crying out for. The second piece with a healthy family, and this is a word that, I don't know, maybe Sue will share in the next couple of weeks, is sacred rhythms. She got this in the prayer room this week. And that is, how do we live a life that goes back to the original realm of walking in step with the Lord, looking at these sacred practices that Christians have done for centuries or millennia, and how do we start to adopt a lifestyle that is countercultural, that doesn't ignore where we're at in the culture, but establishes the rhythms that are Christ-centered to be the most cheesy phrase ever, but isn't cheap. It's rooted in the reality that from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve walked with the Father in the cool of the day. They had a sacred rhythm. And he wants that for us right now. Missionally, why does the church even exist? Well, we've, we've shared this a number of times, and I love the phrase that it's the only organization that I know of on the planet that exists for the purpose of its non-members, the church. Why does the church exist? The church exists for everyone that's not here. And that's amazing. That is the most beautiful privilege ever. And the reality is, as many churches, and, and we have the temptation as well, can fall into the reality of we have so many needs, we have so many things pulling at us, that oftentimes it doesn't feel like we really exist for the non-members. It feels like we exist to just keep each other going. And at times that's okay, if that's the reality of the moment or the reality of someone's life. But our mission is for those who are not in this room or are not part of this family. And that's a big deal. Uh, and we have to be real with our issues. The, the church doesn't need to put on a front and show everyone on the outside that we're perfect. What they need to see is in the midst of our imperfection, we have a perfect father that covers us and that sustains us and that we're not afraid to show you our junk, show you our real raw realities because we're covered. That's what true gospel grace is, is that we are so free, we are so covered, we're so in love that I'm not afraid to show you my darkness. And by the way, it keeps getting light shown on it, and I keep becoming more and more like my, my lover Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's, that's our mission. And so one of the things that we want to start to embed into our culture is this alpha dynamic. It's, it's called the alpha course or just alpha or whatever you want to call it. But essentially it's this. It's 
the church family inviting people outside the church or that are jaded or don't have a church home or just asking the tough questions of life, inviting them into the family to share a meal around a table and talk about the toughest questions of life. That's all it is. That's all it is. And so often evangelism in the church is so focused on events or, or, or things that are so beyond the relationships that you already have. If the church simply started connecting and had a place that we are able to introduce those outside the family to our family in a way that isn't just come to church and hope you get saved on a Sunday morning. Because really here on Sundays, our heart is that the believers are gathering to worship Jesus. It's for us as a family to focus on him. We're not actually, first and foremost, focusing on the non-believer on a Sunday morning. It's okay if, if I, I'm all about, if, you know, pulling the, the, the line out for the lost and people coming in. We are believing for people to come forward and the altar full, filled and people getting saved and healed, delivered, and everything in between. But the reality is the Sunday morning worship is about the family coming in. It's a family gathering. And so what does the church do to invite those into a place that's specifically for those outside the church? So that they can feel like they have some kind of connection point where they, you know, on a Sunday morning, it's just like, you know, I don't know the words of this. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what this sermon is talking about, blah, 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 blah. It's for them. But it's also for you and you and you to be equipped to realize there's a place if I don't feel necessarily like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to strike up conversation in the workplace or, or with moms I hang out with or dads I hang out with or buddies from college or whatever else it is. It's a place you can invite them. Meet my friends. And just talk about the biggest questions of life and faith. So that's what Alpha is about, and that's what we want to embed in our culture. We're going to have a couple of these nights later this month where you can come and see what it's like. And then we're going to run a seven-week series. We are not expecting every single one of you to come to this seven-week series. This is going to be something that we run a couple times at least a year, where we want there to be a constant flow of you knowing who are the people in your life that you want to invite to this? And maybe you can't go with them. You can have someone else come. They can come and experience it. The norm is that you invite someone. They say yes, they don't come. You invite them to the next one. They say yes, they come the first night. Then they don't come back. Then you invite them again. They come to the third one. They stay for a few weeks. Then you invite them to the fourth one. They stay all the way through. Then the fifth one, they go on the retreat. Then on the sixth one, maybe they have a radical encounter with God. This has to be something where we look at someone not as how can I just take you to coffee one time, explain the gospel, and up, oh, up, oh, they rejected it. Now, I guess we continue to not really talk much at work about the deep things. This is something where we want to embed a culture that's of mission and evangelism, but it's done naturally and in the context of family. So that's what Alpha is all about. We don't expect you guys to all understand it all right away. We want to ease us into it and develop a culture. So that is what's starting, and that is this year's missional endeavor. Uh, in terms of what we do locally. And at the same time, we're going to be missional overseas. There's more of that coming, but let's just take one step at a time. And then finally, prayer. Prayer. Why prayer? Last week we said three things with anxiety, if you can remember. What are the three maybe major things that prayer brings up in the realm of anxiety? And you showed me your hands. We all struggle with anxiety on some level, shape, or form. The first might be pessimism and disappointment. How many of you, show of hands, have ever, when someone else prays, or maybe when you go to the Lord, there's some kind of disappointment that you're carrying, or pessimism that God's not necessarily going to engage in this thing that's actually bothering you? It's okay. Yes, 
Yes, Lord. Secondly, distraction. How many of you have found that you get distracted when you try to pray and spend time with the Lord? Yeah, that's just the devil. So just rebuke that and, and do whatever you have to do. My wife is threatening to delete certain apps from our phones. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe it's go to bed at 8.45. We've started to try to do that. We've actually done it, and it's wonderful. Not every night, but a lot. And maybe that's what you need to do. Just ask the Lord, what is distracting me from you? And then also, when you engage in prayer, don't, don't, don't necessarily, the things that come to your mind, I keep a pad or my phone next to me so I can take notes so that when something comes to my mind, we were just in the prayer room at Bethel up in Reading this week, and the first half hour that I lie down, all I can think of is stuff I need to do. Super distracting. And I rebuke the devil, and that didn't work. And so, and so then I just jotted down the things that were coming to my mind. I didn't take care of them later. Because I'm, I'm actually thinking of very important things. Like, all of a sudden, my mind's at rest, and I think of like, oh, I don't have a good example, but maybe you do. You're thinking of one. <laughs> and, and so I, would, I had like a whole long list of seven or eight things. But when I put them down, then I could kind of engage and not worry about remembering them. So just, just eliminate distractions. And then the third thing that I think is the biggest hindrance of anxiety when we come to prayer is our view of God comes to the forefront. Our view of God and our questions of his goodness always come to the forefront. So that is something that we had developed a lifestyle of prayer. You have to address those things. You can't just say, okay, yeah, I did it. I spent my hour a day or whatever it ends up being. You have to address the fact that you've got anxieties that are prohibiting you from communing with the living God. So what are those things of disappointment? What are those distractions? And what are those views of God that need refinement? And then we talked about the prayer of examine, or we actually ended last week with the prayer of examine which is, is going to the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to examine you every day, to go vulnerably and say, where did I feel closest to you, furthest from you, what brought me joy, what hurt me, and what does this reveal to me and why about who God is, how life works, and who I am. The prayer of examine. And then abiding. We continually feel that abiding with God is potentially the only thing that we're really ever trying to talk about. Abide with me. That is really Jesus' most desperate plea for his people for a way of life is abiding. The more I delve into the realm of abiding, the more I realize I have no clue the depth of this pool. I just encourage you, keep abiding and what abiding means and the questions of how do I abide closer even still. Keep that in the forefront of your prayer life. Uh, this is also the key to, to pace. Pace is a big deal when you establish anything where you're taking more on. If we're going to say, I'm going to take on a prayer life, you can only do that if you figure out the pace that's sustainable. I mean, how many New Year's resolutions die because of the pace? All of them. In my opinion, I'm like, they all die because of pace. If you pick something outside of the pace of the Father... You will not finish it, especially if you're depending on him to see it through. You pray over your New Year's resolutions. Lord, bless these. I feel like they're from you, except this one. That's just for me. But you didn't say I couldn't do it, so that's my resolution for me. The rest are for you, Father. Can you bless them in Jesus' name? February. Lord, what happened? Like, they're all gone. 
pace, I think, is probably the number one ordeal. And I believe that the abiding lifestyle, the life of prayer is meant to be the one where it isn't just that we find the pace that we can pray regularly. It's that we find the pace and the relationship of abiding that sustains us so that prayer isn't a work process. It's not a I'm doing this. It's I'm being this. It goes from doing to being. And when you go from doing to being in anything of the kingdom, it's so natural and so wonderful and so transformative that any discipline and work that it took to get there, it's eliminated because this is who you are. This is who you were created to be. So I just encourage you all, put your hand on your head right now. You don't have to stand up. I'm about to stand up. Here I am. And just say, Jesus, you've given me things to get breakthrough in this year. I think they're too hard. Break that lie in your name. Amen. I think that's one of the most powerful prayers we can continually pray over our minds. I'm going to keep moving. Prayer and our values. So we, we recently, this year, um, talked about our values as a church. Um, some of them have been what we've had from the beginning, and others have kind of morphed as we develop language and our identity over time. Our four areas of our values as a body, reliance on the word and spirit, a missional family, the good news has power, and the beauty of holiness. These are our four core values as a people. And I believe prayer is something that we have to ask the Lord, how do each one of these things, uh, what's the perspective of prayer that influences each of those things? Is that a fair question? Let me briefly run down some of my thoughts on that. So reliance on the word and spirit. Our prayer life must be grounded in the word. We pray the word, we contend for it, and we stand on it. The life exchange and walking in the Holy Spirit is an actual manifestation of prayer itself. Listening to what he's saying and doing what he's doing. We cannot have a core value of the word and spirit coming together without a lifestyle of prayer. We're a missional family. This is one of our key focuses of this year, and I just went in on all of that. But how do we become and foster this unique family and the call on this house? How do we integrate this into being a people on mission to engage the lost and immerse them in the goodness of God? Well, as a family, we're going to start doing Alpha. But as a people, we, start, we have to start asking the questions how am I living missionally, and how is my prayer life fueling that endeavor? Thirdly, the good news has power. It's tough to walk in the power of God without an intimate prayer life. I'm amazed at how Jesus goes and spends alone time with the Father. Almost every time in a gospel, the response in the next section after he goes and spends time with the Father is an increase in his power ministry. He goes and struggling with John the Baptist's death. He goes to be alone with the Father. What's the next miracle? Walking on flaming water. If you read the gospel, it's, it's, it's portraying an increase in the power and significance of Jesus' ministry. Some people have a hard time understanding Jesus increasing in power. Like he had everything at the beginning. Like he couldn't have walked on water in chapter 3, but now he can in chapter 7 or whenever it was. And I'm like, no, that's not exactly what it is. I'm simply saying that the gospel writer is showing that there's an increase in progression in the lifestyle of Jesus. It says at the beginning of his ministry, he increased in wisdom, favor, uh, what's the language? No, 
Stature and favor with God and man. Thank you, Bible knowers. Yes. So he increased. It, so how does he increase? And it had nothing to do with his sin, because he had no sin. And yet he's able to increase. His ministry increased. His, his effects increased. And the miracles increased in power. It did the same thing in the early church and in Acts. And if you read Luke from beginning to end, from be, and then you read Acts from beginning to end, it's meant to be in kind of one continuous book. You'll see that both with Jesus and the early church, the, the miracles and the power increased. But how does it increase? Number one key, life of prayer. Life of prayer. The beauty of holiness, number four, the beauty of holiness, our fourth value. This, this realm, the beauty of holiness, is a word that, that I, makes me nervous. Holiness makes me nervous, and I, I love it with everything I have. But this is the overflow. What is the beauty of holiness? It's a psalm. It's, a, it's part of a song in the psalms, the beauty of holiness. But this is the overflow of what we encounter of the character of Almighty God as we worship. This is the beauty of holiness. It's why the angels sing holy, holy, holy. It's a choir that's circling the throne of God. It's a response to the overflow of encountering holiness in a face-to-face place. We must be a people walking in the power of God, but the holiness of his nature is what we encounter in worship. A beautiful church isn't a result of right actions, but encountering the beauty of his holiness. This is where prayer and worship intertwine. So I, I talked about, we were in the prayer room this, this past week up at Bethel. This is a prayer room if you don't know that already. How many of you enter a prayer room, come here maybe on a Tuesday afternoon? You have to. I see that hand because you're on staff, but that's beautiful that you're here anyway, James. But how, how many of you have come here? Or, or you just start a time in prayer, and you just maybe you lie down in your favorite chair or a favorite cushion, and you just like, oh, refresh me, Jesus. Refresh me. It's my favorite worship leader, or it's not. It's my least favorite worship leader. It doesn't matter. Just play your chords of heaven and refresh me. And sometimes that's great. And, and, and I started that way this week. And, and I wasn't getting any rest. I needed rest, but in my soul. Uh, it was wonderful. I could have been there for hours, but I realized that there was not an exchange happening. I was not getting refreshed. I was getting some rest, but not refreshed. And I do think there's a difference. And, and here's what happened. I automatically, I, I, all of a sudden, I was just like, I need to go from soaking, receiving posture, to worshiping. There's a difference. For me, the difference was I needed to be actively engaged at declaring to the Lord who he is. And what I did was I went back to the last worship set. So this will, sometimes I, when I'm, you know, any of you that can listen to music while you work, I can, you know, I'm so thankful that worship leaders in, in places and in Hillsong and Bethel and Mosaic and whoever else comes out with a worship album. It's like every week there's a new worship album. But in my opinion, they don't come out with them fast enough because I can listen to them and I'm bored by Wednesday. Every week I've listened to everybody's worship and I'm bored. If you have new worship that's amazing that isn't like out there, send it to me because I need it and I have time for it because I can always have worship on. The point is, though, is when I have a worship set during my week or over the weeks where I'm like, oh, this one like opened something up in me and, and made me emotional. Uh, I save it and I email it to myself. 
So I, I, that came to my mind when I was like, I need to engage in worship. And, I, and I, so I just played, it was just something on YouTube, and I don't even remember exactly what it was. It was just I went back to that set that I knew, for me, it hit, triggered something in my spirit. And within three minutes, I, I, was, I was literally praising Jesus. I, they have little communion cups, and I went and took communion, and my emotions of worship were engaged. And I went from soaking to adoration. And adoration is, is the place where you fall in love all over again with what he's done for you. When you do that, it's impossible for you to keep anything of distance from the Lord because he's touched you back in that place that reminds you of your salvation. It reminds you of what he's done for you. And the cross is right there. It's right there. Worship and the, the realm of adoration, I should say it like this. This is what I felt like he highlighted this morning. Adoration, and that's our first, that's the whole point of this message. Adoration is the welcome mat to the house of worship. What does that mean? If you want to engage in all the different tools in the realms of prayer, we're going to talk about adoration, petition, intercession, perseverance, listening prayer, and warfare. Not all today, because you'd kill me. Just adoration today. But the point is that there are these tools in the toolbox of the believer in prayer. Adoration is the mat, the welcome mat to his house of worship. And if you're not getting breakthrough, and even just a, a short exchange where you're just trying to get refreshed by the Lord, in just five minutes, and I wasn't set for life. I was like, oh, I need about a week of, of, of this adoration prayer. But in a, in a few moments... He did more than he had done in the last hour and a half in the prayer room. And what did he do? He just, he just took my spirit to the place of actual worship and engaging with the reality of what he's done. And when you engage with what he's already done, it puts everything of your questions of what you need him to do in its proper place. It doesn't ignore them. It puts it in its proper place. You cannot get to the stuff you need him to do without starting with adoration. C.S. Lewis says this about adoration. Adoration is doing what comes naturally. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. That was kind of weird, C.S. Lewis, to say that. Readers praising their favorite poet. I thought that was weird, but maybe that's uh, in British, you know, that's, maybe they're talking about your wife. Mistresses is just a little inappropriate, I thought. <laughs> but it's C.S. Lewis. It's not scripture. That ruined the whole flow, didn't it? Okay, let's start over. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers praising their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. Adoration is doing what comes naturally. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows in the praise. The world rings with praise. So calling God Father, not merely... Uh, oh, sorry. The first phrase of the Lord's Prayer... Um, Sorry about the slides. I uh, I forgot my cord today. But if you go to uh, if you go to Luke 11 or or to Matthew, either one, I kind of already referenced um, Luke 11. If you're in Matthew, that's what we're going to read right now. So that's in uh, Matthew chapter eight. Uh, Matthew chapter eight. Both Luke and Matthew quote the Lord's Prayer. Matthew's the little bit longer one. 
uh, and uh, therefore it's better. If Jesus is being quoted, I want to hear more of what he said, not less. I never understood that. Why did the gospel writers cut out words of Jesus? It's a good question. I'm not going to answer that. So this is, what, this is what the Lord's Prayer is. Read along or just close your eyes, whatever's easiest. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that first phrase is the only one we're going to hone in on today. Our Father. Many have taught that phrase a couple things. And, and this is where the familiarity of most of you have been had this probably taught on more times than you can count. But what do we often do with it? First, we're like, see how Jesus says Abba Fa- or Father? And it's like that Abba Father, Daddy God language. See how he's teaching us to call him Father like, like he calls him Father. And I think that's good. Like I, th- I, th- I think that is still biblically sound, but I don't think that that's necessarily the, the focus of what Matthew is trying to get across um, when he's is quoting Jesus. The other piece of that is that um, this concept of our Father, many point out that it's the first time the disciples are, are to call Jesus or to call God Father. Um, and it, it is kind of the first time he's emphasizing that, but it's not a brand new concept. So, for instance, in, uh, in oh, I just lost my, my spot. But Moses, let's see if I can find the, uh, the reference. Moses, where are you, my friend Moses? I'm not finding it. Mm. It's all right. No, I'm going to find it. Exodus 4. So in, in Exodus 4, Moses stands before Pharaoh, and here's what it says. Israel, my son, my firstborn. Uh, and he goes and he is literally using family language before Pharaoh, referring to all of Israel as his son, God is. So this idea of God referring to his people as, as, as children, not a foreign concept. Uh, it is offensive when Jesus calls God Father. That offended the entire religious right. But as far as Israel's concerned, it's not a new concept. And so as we kind of take away, yes, Jesus is kind of, you can kind of maybe say there's that Daddy God, Abba Father reality. There's that teach them to call God Father relational piece. The bigger issue is that he's emphasizing the occupation of all of the family of Israel is to take hold of being children of God. And in that is the salvation of Israel, the family of God. That's what is contained in this phrase, our Father. And it starts with this Assumption when you say our Father to the people of Israel, it's in one phrase, you are bringing before you the entire history of a family, of a people, uh, everything that God has done, been provided, and sustained them in and declared over them. And it's bringing that before them to start prayer with that adorative declaration He's our Father. Hallowed be your name. If we start every session in prayer with adoration, 
it will set the tone for the rest of our prayer life. I think it's also interesting that the Lord's Prayer, our Father, starts with an issue of identity. And so does Jesus' baptism and the beginning of his public ministry. It starts with identity. This is my son. I don't think that's an accident. Knowing who God is and who you are in relationship to him is the foundation for all life and all ministry. We encourage you guys to watch this prayer course. We'll be posting a, a video each week. How many of you happen to watch this week's on adoration? Just out of a show of hands, a few of you, good. So I want to just highlight a few things from that as we close, and then I'm gonna have Sue come up and, and, uh, and we're gonna respond in prayer. But uh, he, he said a few things about just the vision of this prayer course. And again, the prayer course is taking these, these uh, six elements of the Lord's Prayer and learning to pray them as, as like tools in our arsenal as believers. And he said the, the vision of the whole thing is simply Jesus. It's growing in our relationship with him and focusing, again, on not doing prayer, but being with our Father. And I think every issue we have with our prayer life is relational. It's relational in nature. If you think about, really, the things that bother you the most in life, they're your relational issues, whether it's with you know, parents, spouse, loved ones, friends, boss, colleagues, relationship issues are the number one issue in all your life. You care more about those issues than everything else. I think when we approach prayer, though, what's our biggest issue? We have to go beyond starting with, here's our list. Here's my list of stuff. And how do we do that? Adore him first and foremost. Start by recognizing who he is and who we are. Again, that's identity. Uh, Pete, who, who led the course, he, he shares this example where uh, he had just finished writing a book and he'd been away from his family for a long time. He takes them out to dinner and his kids are, one of his kids stops and, and they're having a great time, but one comes up to him, climbs in his lap and he says, Daddy, I missed you, and, uh, and just stays for a minute. And he said, this to me is a picture of adoration. This isn't me trying to get something from my son, and this isn't my son trying to get something from me. This is my son getting in my lap, coming close, and saying, I missed you, and I love you. Loving and adoring him for who he is. Uh, my kids do this all the time. If your kids don't do this, have my kids lay hands on them, because my kids, they do it almost every day until they fight over us and our affection. It's amazing and infuriating all at the same time. They ruin these amazing moments of love with an elbow to the forehead to the other that's in their way from adoring their parents. Each of my kids has their own way of kind of doing it. And, and I, like uh, Finn comes in every morning, he's up first, usually naked besides his tidy whities and he's freezing, but his first priority is to get warmth from our body heat. And so he literally planks on my body, whether I'm on my back or my face, he planks on top of me and tries to get his body back to normal temperature by simply getting as close as he possibly can to me, which is fine when I need to get up. It's not as cute when I'm at 4 a.m. Finn, really? Again, it's 4 a.m. Okay. I love you too. Get off me. But, but he, he has this, even, even if I'm up before him, which often happens too, he comes in, and before he asks anything of me, he just gets close. And this takes a minute. We, were, we had the other two kids gone with Sue yesterday. Judah did the same thing. 
He just, middle of the day, he kept, he kept coming in and as I'm trying to do stuff for church, for the people of God, Judah. I'm trying to do stuff for them, man. And he kept coming in and he had this like little row of paints and each one was a different color and he was trying to be cautious. And I first saw it and I'm like, that looks like a death trap to me having to clean something up in about five minutes. But I'm like, okay, he's the only one home. He wants to paint. He's having a good attitude. Selena was home, but sleeping. So it's not the same thing. I probably didn't even remember she was home. So he's like, just open that one, Dad, just that one. And I'm like, okay, just open that one. Be careful, son. Two minutes later, can you open this one? Okay. This one, I mean, he interrupted me for all six of the colors. And, and I, I mean, I wasn't like annoyed, annoyed, but like a little bit like, last one, buddy. Okay, here it is. Love you too. And, and then he comes back in and he had painted me a prophetic picture with the big I love you thing on it and then just like gave it to me cuddled in and just like for a second and then went on his day and I'm like who's the big jerk you know you know that's because I had to open some paints and interrupt my flow with the Holy Spirit you know it's, it's but that's adoration it's natural it's the most natural thing in the world who cares an hour later he was literally clawing at another sibling or weeping because of a Lego, whatever it is that shows his depravity and need for a savior. It's, in that moment, he was tapping into his true identity, and it was beautiful. So I encourage all of you, look for those places of adoration. You can see it everywhere. Not, it doesn't matter if it's kids or even your own life. People adore things, and these are natural. You need to take time to find the elements of adoration that you have with the Father, and you need to, to, to snuggle with the Father God. That's how prayer time should start. Greg also, Pete Greg also mentions that in the early days of their prayer movement, they, they thought that the answer, and I see this in a lot of prayer movements, that the answer seems to be we're just going to press in, pray as hard as we can, and revivals are going to break out. Less sleep, less food, more revival, right? And, and I do think, like, the Holy Spirit requires that, um, and it's usually like... You know, there has to be a pace. There has to be a season. And you have to hear from God on those things. Um, but in general, the life of prayer isn't that. Because if that's the life of prayer, like, I've got to eat. I can't fast every day. And I know some of you, like, think you can. And I love that about you fasting people. Uh, but, <laughs> but the lifestyle, the pace, Jesus was not fasting and not sleeping every night. He had a pace with the Father that required him to have a lifestyle of sleeplessness at times and fasting at times. We have to develop, though, a pace and a lifestyle, though, that's sustainable. The Book of Common Prayer, which is an ancient prayer book, says this uh, on adoration. The lifting of the heart and the mind to God. This is adoration. Asking nothing but to enjoy God's presence. Asking nothing but to enjoy God's presence. Adoration starts with the declaration to God that I'm coming to you first and foremost with no other priority than to enjoy your presence. You're meant to like it. You're meant to enjoy it. I married my wife. I'm going to put it in the first person. This is, what, this is also something that Pete said. He married his wife because he enjoyed her immensely. Kids became a wonderful uh, consequence of that enjoyment. There's the overflow of life that comes out of our enjoying God. 
most of the things that will bless us to the nth degree in life comes out of our overflow of what we find in our adoration and enjoyment of who God is and what he's like. My marriage is at its worst when my my conversation with my wife is primarily around crisis and the things that we need to get done. When we prioritize a relational exchange of enjoyment, we've done this at times where we go on a date and we go, rule number one of this date, don't talk to me about anything that is a problem, anything that is tense, anything that we might have a conflict about. We are only going to talk about things we enjoy, and that might mean today the food, and that's it. <laughs> We've had to do that at times because we realize that what we are craving from each other, even though all this stuff needs to be addressed, we need to connect and enjoy each other. Sometimes that's the key for your prayer life of what you need from God, and you've got all this stuff that God needs to break through in, and the key for you to get there is to go to him to just enjoy him. If prayers are fueled by fear and problems, faith will never have a place to breed. Adoration brings hope, life, and produces faith and expectation for God to to invade. So here's, here's the application point. Uh, any of you ever use the, the ACTS acronym for, for your prayer life? A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication, ACTS. So if you need that and get real practical, I'm terrible at practical things in, in sermons, so I'm trying to be super practical. So never say I didn't get practical in this message. If you need a formula to pray, ACTS, A-C-T-S, adore him, confess whether that's confession of sin or just confession of who he is. Thanksgiving and then supplication is just, is just asking God for what you need. In that order, that will transform your prayer life if that's not already a natural thing for you. That will hold you off for the things that you're asking of God until you've done the work to develop adoration in your life. Uh, finally, an in, in, in example of another pastor who had... Uh, uh, a son that comes home, even at 17 years old, and this pastor was saying how he comes home, and uh, his, his son, uh, this is like a, a, a British school type of thing, he rips off his tie, comes into dad's study, and he just plops down on the couch every day. Doesn't really say anything, just like, just wants to hang for a few minutes, and then goes throughout the rest of his day. Might share something, but it's not with an agenda, it's just like, I'm home, just want to see my dad plop down in his study, spend a few minutes, move on the rest of my day. That's the posture of adoration. And I think that we need to, to, to recalibrate our perspective to our biggest need is, sometimes we just need to take a load off, get into the presence of God, allow him to remind us of who he is, and let our spirits engage with the living God again. We've got to learn to approach his presence to enjoy him and we need to address our anxieties in prayer with adoration. Would you stand?